Take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Um, I've been begging the Lord, asking Him what to, what to do and what to preach. And uh, I'm going to be going through another series in one of the books of the Bible here, starting uh, after our soul winning conference and things, probably more towards the beginning of October. Uh, I'm just going to be preaching some topical things between now and then. But once we get to October, I'll go back in the Sunday evenings into preaching through one of the books of the Bible, like we did the book of Joshua. Uh, but let me encourage you to be faithful to the house of God. Let me encourage you to be in the Word of God. And uh, I know it'll be a blessing to your heart, not from my preaching, but from the Word of God. Uh, that's always a blessing to our hearts. And so if you would stand with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I'm not going to read all of the passage right now. Uh, for sake of time, I'm going to read one verse and give you a phrase, give you the title of the message, because I only have 24 minutes to try to get all this done. Uh, no, praise the Lord. But we're going we're gonna to preach a message to you tonight out of verse number 18. Verse number 18, it said, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. Look at this next phrase. It said, But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. You know, there's times in our Christian life that Satan tries to hinder us. Satan tries to stop us from getting where we we're supposed to be and where we need to be going. And uh, this, there's a lot of things in our life that Satan uses to try to hinder us as children of God. And I'm going to preach a message to you tonight. Is Satan hindering you? Is Satan hindering you? Let's pray, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for Lord, this wonderful place. Thank you for Faith Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that uh, as people uh, visit our church or, or drive by our church, Lord, they have a testimony that they see that the people in Faith Baptist Church love God. Lord, that we desire to exalt your name. Lord, may it not be about us and about what we want, what we think and what we feel, but all about what you want, what you think and you feel. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they'll trust you today. God, we thank you so much for the visitors that we had. Thank you for Matt and Brooke joining the church this morning. Lord, what a tremendous blessing that's been to watch their growth and things. But Lord, we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts this evening. Use the Word of God as that sharp, two-edged sword that pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Lord, show us exactly what it is you'd have us to know. And Lord, help us to draw closer to you as we leave here tonight. Lord, may we be closer to you than we've ever been. And Lord, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I'm going to go back to the beginning of this chapter. Uh, Paul is writing here to the Thessalonians. Uh, it says, Unto the church in the Thessalonians, which God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, He said, Grace be unto you and peace for God our Father. He always addresses people like that a lot. But in verse two, uh, chapter 2, he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully uh, entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were both bold in our, uh, in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. And by the way, we ought not to try to please men, but please the Lord. 
Uh, not as I service, the Bible says, as men pleasers, but unto God. It says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor cloak of covetousness, God is witness. And listen, I pray that God is witness in Faith Baptist Church that we won't just preach with words that are flattering words. That people come in here and we just try to, oh, well, we want to tell you what you want to hear, so you're going to come back. No, if we tell you what you want to hear, you ought not to come back. If we tell you what you need to hear, that's what ought to make you come back, because that's what makes us better. And uh, we ought to be doing that. It said, and God is witness. Verse 6, he said, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. It said we didn't just try to win you to Christ, we poured our soul into you. We poured everything we could into you because you were dear unto us. And you know what, when we, when we win people to Christ and we get involved in the ministry and we get fastened as we talk about this morning, we, we stand fast in those things, we ought to do it with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. We ought to put our heart and soul into it, doing everything we can. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Your witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also we thank, uh, thank we God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, he's just pouring his heart out saying, listen, I'm glad you didn't just take man's word for it. You listened to it as it was God's word. And that's how we ought to do it when we're, uh, if somebody's preaching the, the Bible, you ought to look at it as that's God's words and be glad that they took it as God's words. Because the word of our God shall stand forever. Verse 14, for ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which is in Judea, or in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us as they please not God. And are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for their wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even as I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. Listen, anytime you do a work for God, anytime you're pouring your heart and soul into the ministry, anytime you're uh, doing things not so men can see you, but that they can see God, Satan's going to do everything in his power to hinder that work. He's going to do everything he can to hinder God's people. And he was trying to stop Paul and Timothy from going to the Gentiles. Why? Because he knew that they had the power of God upon their life. And if they preached the word of God, the word of God was going to do exactly what the word of God does and does best. It was going to reach their hearts and people were going to be saved. 
Listen, Satan doesn't want to see people saved. Satan doesn't want to see people discipled. Satan doesn't want to see people grow. So Satan's going to try to hinder you. And oftentimes, Satan tries to hinder us through many different circumstances. And I'm going to start firstly tonight. I believe one area that Satan tries to hinder us is by discouraging the servant. By discouraging the servant. Look back to Psalm 34, if you would, please. Psalm chapter number 34. Discouragement is a big part of our lives a lot of times. That's what Satan uses to try to get us out of the fight or out of the the battle. Psalm chapter number 34. It would help if I got to the right place. Psalm 34. And starting in verse number 17. It says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord deliver them out of them all. See what it's talking about? We have a deliverer, but there's a lot of afflictions that come. There's a lot of discouragement that comes our way. Satan does everything he can to try to discourage the saint of God, because if he can get you discouraged, that's the first step of getting you defeated. That's what he tried to do to Timothy. Remember when Timothy was, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and he told him to remember the unfeigned faith that was in him, to stir up the gift of God which was in you, which was in your grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. He said, and I know it was in thee also. He was trying to remind him and encourage him not to be uh, allowing Satan to get him down. And we have to understand that Satan uses discouragement time, sometimes. He'll bring circumstances in your life that you didn't ask for. Maybe it's a Job-type circumstance that comes in your life and discouragement comes. You get discouraged and you're ready to wave that white flag of surrender. You're ready to back out and you're ready to give in and you're ready to give up. And that's when we need to cry unto the Lord and go to Him. And it said He'll deliver them out of all their troubles. Psalm 55 and... Verse number 22, if you want to turn there, Psalm 55, verse 22. I'm going to read some of these for sake of time. If you want to write them down, you can. I'm going to try to move through them a little quickly. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. You know, there's a lot of discouraging burdens that come uh, in our life. Look at Isaiah chapter number 40. Isaiah chapter number 40. Verse, 50, verse 31. This is a very familiar verse. Most of you know it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, God wants us to understand that there's going to be discouragement that comes. Satan's going to try to hinder you through discouraging times. He's going to make circumstances come, but there is a God that's willing to lift you up on eagles' wings. He says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Listen, he's going to help us to fly over the problem, to get past it. If we'll just lean on him and rest in him, though we have to go through the valley, though we have to go through the experience, we can understand that he's with us always. And he's going to be by our side even through the discouraging times. But Satan uses discouragement to hinder you. I don't know, maybe it's a medical condition of someone in your family. Maybe it's someone in you. Or maybe it's uh, some kind of financial difficulty. Or whatever the circumstance may be, something comes in your path. And discouragement begins to set in. 
And Satan tries to hinder, you, hinder us by discouraging the servant of God. Listen, getting in the, the battle of the Christian life isn't a bed of roses. It's not smooth sailing all the time. There's people who think, once I get saved, life's going to be all good. Everything's going to be fine. There's not going to be any issues as I go through life. Listen, I'm here to tell you the Christian life is a battlefield. It's not a recreation room. It's not a picnic. It's a battle. It's a war. And our adversary, the devil, that means he's, a, he's our, the one that brings adversity in our life. He's the one that brings discouragement along our way. And we need to stand fast through it, but Satan tries to hinder us through discouragement. Look at Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. Verse 28. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is Satan hindering you? First off, does he hinder you through discouragement? By discouraging the servant. Secondly, another way Satan tries to hinder us is by dividing the church. By dividing the church. See, the Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. If we are divided as a church, Satan's going to hinder us from doing the work that God wants us to do. Look at Philippians chapter number 3. Look what the Bible says, finally, my brethren, verse number 1, Philippians 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed, not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Listen, in the Bible, dogs were not made as little pets. They weren't there to just pet little Fido and say, hey, isn't he a good puppy dog? You know, I know we have dogs for pets now, but dogs were wild animals in the Bible. If you remember when Jezebel was cast out and the dogs came and ate her? Remember that? The dogs were wild dogs. And the fact is, there's sometimes that uh, division comes in the church because somebody gets a, a wild idea and they just want to have their say-so and they'll start jabbering to this person or that person and they'll begin to cause division in a church. Listen, we've got to beware of those kind of things. We've got to be watchful of those kind of things. But Satan will try to do it to divide the church. See, because if, if he can divide it from within, you know, because he can't get it from without. Say, why? Because God, God protects things from the outside. He puts things around it. Satan can't defeat the church, but he can, from the inside, get the church to defeat itself. How do we do that? As we come inside and we try to cause division. There's division that's caused. Look at 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. Chapter number 1. First Corinthians chapter number one, starting in verse number 10, look what he says. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For he it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there 
or contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized mine own name. I am baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I am baptized. I have baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be main, made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. See, what he's saying is there's some contentions among you because you guys are losing your focus. He said, you're not of Paul, you're not of Apollos, you're not of Cephas, you're not of any of those, you're of God. Amen. If you're God's children, you're, you're of Him. You need to follow Him. You need to be on God's side. Quit being divided over little things and just have the same mind, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The Bible says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He's telling us to have the mind of Christ. To get the mind of the Lord. If you'll just get the mind of God, you'll all pull in the same direction. But Satan hinders us by discouraging the servant, by dividing the church. Third way he does it, by diluting the scriptures. By diluting the scriptures. What's he do? He gives us versions that are, quote unquote, easier to understand. Well, we live in 2019, preacher. They're just uh, all the these and the thous and the thuses, you know. I don't really understand those things. That's not what, what's causing the problem. What's causing the problem is removing the deity of Christ, the blood atonement, the virgin birth of Christ, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the word of God and making it of none effect because they're saying, hey, you can be saved by being baptized. Don't believe me? Go to the NIV and read Acts chapter 8, verse 36 through 37, 38. You won't find verse 37, which I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, which ought to take place first before baptism. All you find is, oh, look, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So they commanded the chariot to stop, but went down the water. He was baptized of him. That shows me a baptismal regeneration. You know what that is? That's a lie. They try to dilute Scripture. They try to take the Word of God. and Well, we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to offend anybody. We want everybody to feel equal. Listen, we were all made in the image of God. How? Because that's how we were created. We have a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. That's how we were made. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But because of one man's sin, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, we have to understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The only way to heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. That's what Paul was telling them. I've come to preach the gospel. But now you know what they try to say? is They try to say, oh, well, you just come to church, and if you're happy, God's happy. You just do what makes you happy, and if, you, if you're happy, God's happy. That's not true. Because guess what? Some sin makes people happy for a season. But sin doesn't make God happy. His son had to die on an old rugged tree because of sin. Sin does not make God happy. In fact, he's a holy God and he hates sin. He despises sin. And we ought to be a church that doesn't dilute Scripture. We stand fast on the things of God. We don't change. John 1, 1, the Word of God is quick. Or, or in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We can't change it. Why? Because God's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. But they're diluting Scripture. That's how Satan's trying to hinder us. 
You know what? He, why aren't people being saved across our land? Because they've been taught there's no consequences for actions. They've been taught that they can do as they want to do. They can identify as they want to identify. They can be whatever they want to be. Listen, if God made you a man, you're a man. If God made you a woman, you're a woman. There is no in-between, and you ought not to look at God and say you made a mistake. Because you're His creation. And we ought to start acting like men, men, and we ought to start acting like ladies, ladies. Quit making our men feminized and our women masculinized. We need to get back to it, but he dilutes Scripture. He dilutes Scripture. He tries to make all these things as if, oh, well, that's just man's words. It's not man's words. It's God's words. It's God's words. Well, man wrote it. Listen, God used them as an instrument to write down his, his words on some pages, but I'll tell you what, who was the one that breathed the words? It was God. It says all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'm still for this old King James Bible in case you're wondering which one I'm talking about. I believe it's the word of God to the English speaking people and we ought not to change it. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. It didn't say some words of God are pure. It said every word of God is pure. So how does Satan try to hinder us? By discouraging the servant of God, by dividing the church of God, by diluting the the word of God or the scriptures. Next, by damaging the sacredness of the home. By damaging the sacredness of the home. Look at Joshua 24. Joshua chapter 24, and verse number 15, Joshua standing up in front of the nation of Israel, telling them to choose what side they're going to be on. Verse 14, he said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served in, and in Egypt, and ser- uh, uh, the gods on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Look at verse 15, he said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was making a statement that, listen, God has placed me as the leader of my home, and it doesn't matter if my kids want to or not. It doesn't matter if anybody else says anything or not. We will serve the Lord. Parents, listen, don't, tell your, don't say, well, my kids don't want to go to church today. You ought to make them come to church. Well, if I drag them to church, they won't come when they're old. Yes, they will if you train them right. You train them right, they'll come. I have, I, I, it bothers me. I hear that excuse a lot. Well, I was made to go to church when I was young, so I, I'm not going to go now when I'm older. No, what it is is you made a choice to disobey God and go your own way. It had nothing to do with your parents bringing you to church. You ought to thank God for a mother and a father that loved you enough to bring you to church. But they try to damage the sacredness of the home. You know what they try to do is they try to put the kids on a level up here and the parents on a level down here. Young people, you know what God gave you parents for was to protect you from what Satan's got coming after you. And you ought to thank God in heaven that you have a mom and a dad that love you enough to protect you from the things that the world's trying to bring your way. Our television programs make the parents out to be the idiots, to be the dumb ones. Parents don't know anything. Kids know everything. 
And that's why we have a generation of people that we have today. They act like they know everything when in fact they actually know nothing. Because the meaning of life is not found in a bank account. The meaning of life is not found in their educational status. The meaning of life is found is do they know for sure they're on their way to heaven and do they have a relationship with God. But they damage the sacredness of the home by taking away the authority from the parents and giving it to the kids. What's the problem with that preacher? Well, a child left to himself bringing his mother to shame. That's what the Bible says. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. You know why kids are foolish? Because they're kids. You know why they need direction? Because they're kids. But society, Satan's done a good job through Hollywood and everything else to make people believe that parents don't have the authority anymore. Young people, listen, you ought to listen to what your mom and dad say. Why, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right? Did it say, Brother Ron, children, obey your parents in the Lord when they are right? Because guess what, kids? Newsflash, your parents are going to make mistakes. But God didn't say, obey them only when they're right. He said, obey them because obedience is right. He damages the sacredness of the home. Proverbs 24 Verse 3 and 4 says this, Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious, precious and pleasant riches. Through wisdom is a house builded. See, a house that's built upon a rock will stand, but all other ground is sinking sand. You try to build on something else, it's going to crumble, and they try to build, damage the sacredness of the home. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. And verse number 20. Look what it says. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is a savior of the body. Now let me pause there for a second. Husbands, it did not say you're the dictator of the wife. It said you're the head of the wife. What's that mean? Is you need to lead as you follow Christ. Lead by example. Lead in love, the way Christ would lead. Thought I'd throw that in there. 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also had loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. What's that mean? God's word ought to be part of your family. That he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated yet his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, uh, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. For the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now why does he keep saying husbands love your wives? As, you, as Christ loved the church. Because we're kind of hard-headed, aren't we? Got to keep repeating himself. 
Listen, God placed us as a leadership of the, of the family, but that doesn't mean dictatorship. It means leadership following Christ. And we're supposed to love our wife, lead our wife, do all of that. And as we do that, guess what they're going to do? They're going to desire to follow us. Then it says children. Hell, you're not off the hook. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For what? Obedience is right, isn't it? For this is right. Look what it says, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. And young people, look at the rest of this verse, that thou mayest live long on the earth. Whoa. What's God trying to tell me? Kids, don't be smart mouthed, arrogant, little smart mouthed brats that want to tell your parents what they think. If you, if you fear God, you ought to honor your, your mom and dad. Why? Because he said that thou may live long upon the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know what, parents? We can provoke them to anger, though. We can provoke them to wrath. We ought to love them as Christ loves them. Then he says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, God has a structure, doesn't he? He has the husband, the wife, and then the children. It's not the children and then the parents have to be in subjection to their children. No, it's they lead their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as they lead you, young people, you follow them. And you obey them. You need to obey them. Why? God gave them to you. Well, I don't agree with them. Tough. Get over it. Obey your parents. Why? Because when you disobey your parents, guess what you're doing? You're disobeying whose command? God's command. So kids, you need to obey your parents. See, Satan does this by damaging the sacredness of the home and the importance of what the home's all about and the structure that God placed. It's important for young people to have mom and dad. It's important. That's God's structure. See, if my kids didn't have their mother, they would all have wounds on them all the time. Why? Because I'm not the compassionate one that, heal, that, that puts Band-Aids on and those kind of things. That's mama's job. I say, hey, it's not broken, get up and keep going, you're good, okay? Well, it's bleeding, you'll be all right. Pretty soon you'll either run out of blood or it'll clot, one of the two. It'll stop one way or another, okay? Um, that's just how I think as a dad, you know, it's just God didn't bring that compassionate part, that, that sensitive mother instinct. Somebody asked me one day, Brother Eddie, where's your feminine side? I said, I married her 18 years ago. I don't have a feminine side other than my wife, okay? That's my feminine side. But the fact is, I'm one of those guys that they, hey, boy falls down and gets muddy, gets bruises. That's, that's just part of being a boy. If a girl falls down and does it, that's just helping her to be strong to get a husband one day. Because they're pretty hard-headed. So why is it important? Because guess what? There's that authoritativeness of dad, but there's also a compassionate heart sometimes. But they need mama too. You know what? It's hard for me to teach my girls how to be a lady. Because I'm not one. They need that. You know what, ladies in our church, that's why it's very important for you to live godly because there's some young girls in our church that don't have mom. And you might be the only testimony of what a godly young lady can be. And you men, you need to be what God... Why? Because we need to teach them the sacredness of a home and what it's all about. Satan tries to destroy that. What's another way that Satan tries to hinder us? He, by discouraging the servant, by dividing the church, by diluting Scripture, by damaging the sacredness of the home, by dampening our shout. He steals our shout from us. We already talked about that. I'm all for somebody shouting for the Lord. 
I'm ex- I get excited when I see somebody wave their hand when somebody's singing. They were singing that song about it's under the blood. Oh, praise his dear name. I'm not what I used to be. My life's been changed. Not shackled by sin and shame. It's already gone. I'm happy reminding him it's under the blood. That's enough to shout about. The blood of Jesus Christ covered our sins. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's time God's church just starts getting their shout back. Because what happens is, as we talked about this morning, we get this poochy lip disease and nobody wants what we have because they say, well, if it's that miserable being a Christian, I sure don't want it. we got to get our shout back. Look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter number 12, look at verse 16, starting there. It says, But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And they said, Go show these things unto James and to their brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What had become of Peter? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and the commandment that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea into Caesarea and there abode. And when Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him and having said, uh, said made Blastus the king Chamberlain uh, their friend, desiring peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat up upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And look what it says. And the people gave shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. See, the fact is, people will shout at things they have no business shouting over. Oh, we'll get excited, man. We'll shout. We'll stand up on a, on a, a chair and we'll scream at the top of our lungs when our young person's playing a sport. We're up in the top row of the bleachers and we say, hey, ref, are you blind? And he was two feet away from it and here we're a hundred yards from it. And he, we, we saw it better than he did. And man, we'll shout the rooftop off when our young person makes a touchdown. Man, we'll want to do cartwheels in that row. Then we come to church and we say, preacher, I just don't shout. You know, I, I, I'm dignified. I don't shout. But then we watch you guys when you go to an amusement park and you're on that roller coaster. And what happens? You're just screaming and having a good old time. Listen, it's good to be a Christian. It's good to be a child of God. Listen, church, don't lose your shout. Don't lose your shout. You ought to rejoice in the Lord. We could go over many verses in Psalm 32 and verse 11, Psalm 35, verse 27, Psalm 47 and verse number 1, all talking about praise ye the Lord, lift high His name, uh, lift up your voice, sing unto the Lord, all these things. Why? We can praise the Lord. We ought not to lose our shout. 
Or to get excited about the things of God. Listen, you say, preacher, you're pretty loud. You're pretty obnoxious when it comes to preaching about the Lord. Listen, my life's been changed. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have something worth shouting about. There's something inside of me, a song in my heart, even praising to our God. And He's worth giving glory to. He's worth giving honor to. If you think about what we deserved and what He saved us out of, man, it ought to make you stand up sometimes. Wave your hand up to heaven and say, thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It ought to make you you rejoice over the fact that you don't have to spend one second in hell, but you get to walk one day through a pearly gate and gates of pearl and walls of jasper and a street of pure gold. And as you're doing that, guess what? All of that's going to pale in comparison to Jesus. Seeing Him on that throne and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Listen, don't dampen your shout. Stay excited about the things of God. Listen, if somebody came in this room today and offered you a million dollars, most people would shout and say, I can't believe it. They'd tell everybody on Facebook, everybody would know within a matter of a few minutes who the millionaire is in the church. But I'm telling you this, there's, there's treasures higher above than any money could ever offer on this earth. We ought to lay up treasures in heaven. And there's a day we're going to be able to stand there and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you're serving the Lord and all the treasures and all that stuff, all that money's going to burn up here one day. But we have a street that we walk, we walk on gold in heaven. We walk on gold in heaven. Man, you ought to get excited. Don't lose your shout. Satan hinders us by discouraging the servant, by dividing the church, by diluting the scripture, by damaging the sacredness of the home, by dampening our shout, by diminishing our standards. By diminishing our standards. What do you mean when the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord? It doesn't mean separate just to a, a certain point, and then you say, Well, I need to. Keep one hand on the world because I don't want them to think that I think I'm better than them. Listen, you living for Christ has nothing to do with you being better than them. It's being different than them. Being different. Why? Because you're not of the world anymore. You're of your father, God. Not your father, the devil. Look at 2 Corinthians again, chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse 17, he said, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Look at John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. Verse number 12. John 8 and verse number 12 said, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see that? If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have, that means God took up residence. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. That means you ought to live as a vessel of light, not one of darkness. He diminishes our standards. You know, it saddens me when you can't tell if somebody's a man or a woman, bothers me. Why? Because God made you a man, you ought to act like a man. You ought to look like a man, walk like a man, talk like a man. If you're a woman, you ought to act like a woman, look like a woman, talk like a woman. We talked about in Sunday school, There's in today's society, it was, it was normal back in the day for men to say things sometimes that were vulgar. 
But nowadays we have women that are more vulgar than men are. Why? Because morality has begun to diminish and we've just begun to act more like the, the world than the church, than the world acting more like the church. The church has begun to act more like the world. And we've not separated ourselves from the world the way God intends us to do that. And James 1 verse 8 says a double-minded man is unstable in some of his ways. No. So what's that mean? That means if I live for the world on Monday and Tuesday and most of Wednesday and I live for God on Wednesday night because I come to church and make everybody think I'm somebody important, then Thursday and Friday and Saturday I'm living for the world again and then I live for God again on Sunday. The Bible calls you double-minded and he says that you're unstable not in some of your ways but in all of your ways. And he dimin- we diminish our standards. We try to act like the world so that we can try to gain them. And our, our excuse is, well, I'm going to go uh, where they are and I'm going to go to the bar so I can win the drunks. You know what changes people? Is letting your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When they ask the question, hey, what's different about you? How come you don't smoke anymore? How come you don't drink anymore? How come you don't do anything? We say, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about that. Jesus came into my life. I remember talking to Brother Eddie not long ago. He said he had to separate from some of his friends that he grew up with. Why? Because there was a difference now. Brother Eddie said, I can't partake in those things. I can't do those things anymore. Listen, I love you and I'm praying for you, but I can't do that anymore. See, it takes some separation. But here's where we get mixed up, church, is we separate just enough from the world, but we're not separated to God. We're just as far away from Him as we are from the world. True separation, true biblical separation is leaving the world and going to God. And when you'll do that, you'll begin to act like God would act and think like God would think and do what God wants you to do. But we diminish our standards. It's very important for us to understand that modesty plays a big part in our society today. You say, why? Because the lack of modesty is a lack of morality. Lack of modesty is a lack of morality. There's some things on your body that were only intended for your spouse to see. You say, preacher, that's kind of blunt. Well, that's truth. God intended your body for your spouse. Period. You say, what's that mean? That means, ladies, please cover up. Why? Because men are enticed by what they see. Men, guess what? You don't have muscles anyway, so cover up anyhow. The fact of the matter is, we need to live modestly, holy, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because it's alluring, and Satan does a good job at it. Listen, remember, Samson went towards a Philistine woman, didn't he? You say, well, preacher, I just don't believe that. Let me give you some advice from the preacher tonight. You young girls, live godly as a godly young lady. Don't go searching for a man in your life. Because the only women in Scripture that ever searched out a man were the strange women in Proverbs. Girls, you you live holy, righteously, and godly and live so that God can bring that man to you one day. You say, what does that mean? Stay in church, follow godly, see godly men that are around and say... That's what I'm going to pattern after. That's what I want in my husband right there. And dads, listen, live godly. So your girls have a testimony of what a godly man is. That way they can see what the sacredness of the home is all about. Don't diminish our standards. 
We need to still separate ourselves from the world. Satan's hindering us by discouraging the servant, by dividing the church, by diluting the scripture, by damaging the sacredness of the home, by dampening our shout, diminishing our standards, and detouring our soul winning. He's he's trying to get you to quit going soul winning. Last time I checked, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in all Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what he told them? Get the gospel everywhere you go. In Matthew 28, starting in verse number 18, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. So go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. Listen, don't, don't quit soul winning, because God hasn't changed his plan on how to reach people. We still need to go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Listen, when people walk through the doors of Faith Baptist Church, we ought not to look at them as, oh, they're different than me. You know what? We ought to look at them. Hey, they're a soul that Jesus died for, and we need to point them to God. Listen, we're failing as a church if we don't have people that look worldly when they come into church. You say, what are you talking about? Because we ought to be reaching the world, trying to get them to come in. Listen, but we ought not to keep them there. We ought to introduce them to Christ, disciple them, and watch God change them. Guess what? It's not your job to change people. It's God's job to change people. But here's where we go wrong. Somebody comes in the church, they've been here three weeks, and we say, hey, you're supposed to be doing this. Let me, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know the best teaching for a young disciple is this, an example. An example. Live a godly example. Show them what they need to be doing. You know how our children learned how to talk? Mom and dad were saying, say this. Say this. And we tried to get them to say it over and over. I'll give you a cookie. Say this. We tried to get them to do it. Why? Because we were so impressed that, hey, they're learning how to do this. They're, and then pretty soon we're saying, I'll give you a cookie if you stop talking. <laughs> you know, I'll give you a cookie if you stop talking. Because once they learn, we want them to learn how to talk. And then when they learn how to talk, we say, stop talking. But listen, there's a, a generation of people that have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. You understand, part of soul winning is not just seeing people saved, but it's discipling people to become disciples, to make more disciples for God. That's part of soul winning. You say, what are you talking about? He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You know why we don't disciple? Because we're not living it. We don't want a disciple because guess what? That person might see a flaw in us. Listen, the whole fact of the matter is they're going to see flaws in you. Why? We're sinners saved by grace. We're going to make mistakes. But if you start living the best you can for the Lord, trying to follow your life after this book and set some godly examples for people to follow, people will say, hey, it's real in their life. It's real in their life. It'll mean more to them what you say when you're living what you're saying. Like a parent who looks at their kid and says, don't smoke. You know what they're saying? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go smoke. But if you say, hey, abstain from this, and you're abstaining from it, guess what? They say, whoa, he's not just telling me that, he's doing that. Hey, don't listen to this kind of stuff. Don't be around these kind of people. Don't do this kind of thing. If they see you doing it, parent, guess what? They're going to do it. 
And so will the young convert that's just saved. If they, they see you uh, not living right out there, guess what? They're not going to live right out there. They're going to think it's, oh, it's just for church inside these walls. Listen, if it's good enough to live in here, it's good enough to live out there. This book isn't just confined between these walls of this building. This book ought to be confined in the innermost parts of your heart. And you ought to live it and obey it. Let me ask you this. Is Satan hindering you? In one of these areas we talked about? Maybe it's something different that we talked about tonight that I didn't, or that I didn't even mention, but the Holy Spirit of God mentioned it to you tonight. Listen, let's not let Satan hinder us. Let's throw, throw, throw away all these roadblocks that are stopping us and just press on for Jesus and keep on going. Don't let discouragement stop you. I know there's some discouraged people in our church. But listen, don't quit fighting. Don't quit going forward. Satan's trying to hinder you from being what God wants you to be. Because if he can hinder you, guess what? He can hinder those that are watching you. Just keep on going for God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, He loves you more than anybody could ever love you. And He wants you to go to heaven. Won't you trust Him tonight? With heads bowed, eyes closed.